This is WDBX Carbondale. It's 10 o'clock. Time for... Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid, I'm Robert Rickman, and imagine looking back over six or seven decades of the time you danced to Elvis Presley at the local scene, teen center. Well... I started out in my 50s here on the council, and then I became vice president, and not thinking that one day I would be the director here. I never didn't even dawn on me. I just figured the person who was here before me would stay. Sandy Buller is the director of what is now the Murfreesboro Senior Center. We'll talk to her. And recreational activities. 50 years ago, it was smoking weed in the parking lot, but now... The baby boomers uh, seem to be coming in here for help with inflammation and anxiety. We'll be talking to Todd Lawler about that from Squish Cannabis in Marion. And maybe some of the anxiety is caused by your not having a power of attorney? Rebecca J. O'Neill of the SIU Legal Clinic can help. We do thousands of powers of attorneys every year to try to prevent the necessity of ever having to go to court for guardianship. And we'll hear about what the SIU Legal Clinic can do for you. Then there was that anniversary this month that no one wants to celebrate. Lieutenant Rebel, this is Don Mitchell of WRAJ News in Anna, Illinois, calling. Have you uh, located the assassin of President Kennedy? Uh, I think so. We, he killed one of our officers and he was arrested shortly after. Yes, a 500-watt radio station in southern Illinois broke one of the stories of the century. The off-ramps, Bob Smith with a report in a few minutes about the Kennedy assassination how, and how WRAJ in Anna, Illinois was instrumental in releasing some of the details. But first, the news. Around 48 million retirees currently receive Social Security checks each month. There are three critical changes for 2023. One, increased maximum taxable income. Currently, payroll taxes apply only to annual income up to $147,000. This maximum taxable income will increase to $160,000 in 2023, the largest one-year jump in Social Security history. How many Americans will this increase impact? Around nearly 20% of U.S. households. That translates to more than 25 million households. In 2022, the federal government will withhold $1 in benefits for every $2 earned above $19,560 and will withhold $1 in benefits for every $3 earned above $51,950. These two thresholds will increase in 2023. The lower amount will be raised to $21,240. The higher amount will be raised to $56,250. And number three, increased benefits. Retirees will enjoy an 8.7% cost of living adjustment next year. The average Social Security retirement benefit will increase in 2023 thanks to the historic COLA. So will the maximum benefit. Social Security has increased its monthly benefit in all but three years since implementing an automatic annual COLA in 1975. Now, these increases are because of inflation. Actually, Now, actually, listen to this carefully. The purchasing power of the Social Security retirement benefits isn't growing in real dollars. In some ways, the purchasing power could even decrease despite regular COLAs. Newly released federal audits reveal widespread overcharges and other errors in payments to Medicare Advantage health plans for seniors, with some plans overbilling the government by more than $1,000 per patient a year on average. Summaries of the 90 audits were obtained exclusively by the nonprofit Kaiser Health News through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, which was settled in late September. The government's audits uncovered about $12 million in net overpayments for the care of more than 18,000 patients sampled, though the actual losses to taxpayers are likely much higher. Medicare Advantage, a fast-growing alternative to original Medicare, is run primarily by major insurance companies. Officials at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have said they intend to recoup an estimated $650 million as a result. The 90 audits are the only ones CMS has completed over the past decade, a time when Medicare Advantage has grown explosively. Enrollment in the plans more than doubled during that period, passing $28 million in 2022 at a cost to the government of $427 billion. 71 of the 90 audits uncovered net overpayments, which topped $1,000 per patient, on average in 23 audits, according to the government's records. 
And from Medicare, we go to COVID, something that's been with us for several years. In a recent study, it was shown that people with long COVID have had physical changes to their brains several months after experiencing the initial infection. The study includes MRIs of patients who continued to suffer from symptoms six months later, which showed clusters of mineral deposits in the brain linked to fatigue and headaches. The changes in the circulation of tiny blood vessels in these areas can create changes in white matter. As a result, the brain finds it harder to transfer information, which can cause difficulties with memory, mobility, and balance. The Indian researchers say it is the first study to reveal physical changes to the brain caused by COVID-19, although other studies have shown that it can cause changes to the heart, lungs, and other uh, uh, organs. Long COVID is not a specific condition, but rather an array of varying symptoms after you've cleared the initial infection. This includes extreme tiredness. Now, I had COVID, and I didn't feel very sick, but I had extreme tiredness. A shortness of breath, I didn't have that. Loss of smell, it was altered. I didn't lose it. Muscle aches, well, I had those from working out, so I don't think I had those. Anyway, it's been estimated by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention that one in five who have had COVID-19 will suffer from long COVID to some extent, and while there is ongoing research into the illness, there is still no known cure. Sufferers are mostly under the age of 50, and women are mostly likely to be affected, more likely to be affected than men. Also, uh, COVID has been linked to dementia. And a study published in JAMA Neurology estimated that in the United States, one in 10 adults over the age of 65 has dementia and one in five have cognitive difficulties. The study was based on information from the health and retirement study comprising almost 3,500 study participants aged 65 and older. They underwent tests to engage their memory, attention, and comprehension, as well as their ability to live independently and how their faculties changed over the previous decade. According to the findings, about 10% of U.S. adults aged 65 and older have dementia, and 22% have mild cognitive impairment, indicating their memory and other functions are affected. About 3% of people in their 60s had dementia, rising to 35% among people in their 90s. The dementia rate was higher for older adults identified as non-Hispanic black compared with their counterparts. Now, the study found that 15% of older black adults have dementia compared with 11% of older white adults and 10% of older Hispanic adults. In addition, 13% of people with no high school diploma had dementia, compared with 9% among those who finished high school or attended college, that according to the study. And as of this hour, it has been 59 years, 6 days, and 22 and a half hours since President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November 22, 1963. Lee Harvey Oswald was apprehended a few hours after the killing. And who broke the story? Not CBS, NBC, or ABC. Not the Chicago Tribune, New York Times, or the Washington Post. No. The name of the assassin was first broadcast on a 500-watt radio station in southern Illinois. And now Bob Smith presents this special version of the off-ramp, which tells how WRAJ Radio in Anna, Illinois, broke one of the biggest stories of the 20th century. It's the most famous recording you've never heard. Lieutenant Rebel, this is Don Mitchell of WRAJ News in Anna, Illinois, calling. Have you uh, located the assassin of President Kennedy? Uh, I think so. He killed one of our officers, and he was arrested shortly after. He was on the floor when the president was killed. That's a call to the Dallas, Texas Police Department on November 22, 1963. A call that for the first time revealed the name of Lee Harvey Oswald as the suspected assassin of President John F. Kennedy. We'll hear it and the story behind it coming up today on The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith. Today we have two unique recordings surrounding the assassination of President John F. Kennedy a half century ago. One came from a remarkable man I worked for named Don Mitchell. Don gave me my first job after college at his small-town broadcasting operation, and soon after I joined, I discovered his station was anything but conventional, anything but normal. 
Somehow, Don Mitchell, my boss, was able to convince scores of famous people to grant interviews to our small 500-watt radio station. Recently on the off-ramp, we played an interview on news gathering that he did with the late, great Walter Cronkite. But Don also interviewed such luminaries as Ralph Nader, Buckminster Fuller, Bob Hope, Norman Vincent Peale, Ann Landers, and Colonel Harlan Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Some came to us, others he went to. All were convinced to spend time with Don for a recorded conversation, and our little radio station benefited. That was impressive enough. But even more impressive was the fact that 10 years before I joined Don, he covered one of the biggest stories of the century, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And he covered it from his radio station in Anna, Illinois. Don is retired today and, at the age of 88, lives in Dallas, Texas. Recently, I spoke with him about that fateful day in history. I'd like to go back to the most remarkable thing that I know you did, and that happened on November 22, 1963. Maybe you could take us back to that day, that famous phone call you made. When JFK was shot, you mean? Yes. Uh, I, I was home for lunch, and my friend called me, and he said, uh, you know, the, the, he had just heard on CBS that uh, President Kennedy was shot. I said, oh, thank you, goodbye. And five minutes later, I was at the radio station, the, the uh, teletype machine, that went ding, 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 you know, and Bob Daly, who was on the only person there during the noon hour, thought it was just a, a telephone ringing and ignored it. And uh, so we, we uh, rigged up a microphone to, very quickly to, to go into the teletype booth where the news was coming in, and I read the bulletins right off the... Uh, right off the wire as they came in. Uh, what kept people listening to WRAJ was uh, they thought if they turned it off, they're liable to miss something they would have liked to heard. That day you were worried they were missing something because TV was running a story and the teletype had gone dead. Yeah, and uh, I, I, we had just gotten uh, a direct dial phone service in Anna, Illinois. And I called the Dallas Police Department and asked to talk to a certain man who had been mentioned in one of the bulletins. Now, let's stop for just a moment and review. With no network radio affiliation, little WRAJ Radio had to rely on its United Press International teletype for news on President John Kennedy's assassination. And after an initial rush of bulletins, the teletype machine fell silent. It went dead offering only occasional rehashes of the first dispatches. So, frustrated, because he knew his listeners were defecting to television, Don decided he'd telephone the Dallas Police Department himself to find out what was going on. He wanted to talk with Captain Pat Ganaway, an officer who was quoted in one of those early UPI stories. Don ran a tape deck during the call and came away with one of the most remarkable recordings anyone's ever heard from that day. A correction, never heard from that day. Because the recording only aired on his little 500-watt radio station in Anna, Illinois. But he occasionally replayed it for astonished listeners for years afterward. It was definitely a different era, because amazingly, when Don called, the Dallas police, in folksy small-town fashion, supplied him with everything he asked for, including the big unknown, the name of John F. Kennedy's alleged assassin. In fact, Dallas police were so accommodating, he had to cut their conversation short. Now, back to Don. And they said, well, he's, he's not here, but... Uh the man who arrested Oswald is here. You want to talk to him? I said, yes, I certainly do. <laughs> so we had about a five-minute interview about his capture. I'd love to play that sometime. If you would give us permission, that would be great to hear that conversation at some point. You, cer you certainly have my permission to play it. So here with Don's permission is that call, the most famous historic phone call you've never heard. From November 22nd, 1963. Hello, is this Dallas Police Department? Uh, no, sir. Excuse me, I can ring. Which division did you need? Carver? May I speak to Captain Pat Ganaway, please? Long distance calling. Uh, the captain isn't in the office, sir. Uh, could you hold the line just a minute? All right. Uh, Ravel? 
Hello, is uh, Captain Pat Ganaway there, please? No, he's not here just now. Uh, this is Lieutenant who? Revel. Revel. Lieutenant Revel, this is Don Mitchell of WRAJ News in Anna, Illinois, calling. Yes, sir. To find out, have you uh, uh, located the assassin of President Kennedy? Uh, I think so. We, he killed one of our officers, and he was arrested shortly after. Uh, he was on the floor when the president was killed. What were the circumstances when he killed the officer? Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar, too familiar with it, but I think it was a traffic violation. I see. Kill the officer, just uh, shot him a uh, couple of times. Did, um, how did you uh, get, uh, I mean, how did you know this person was the one? Well, I tell you what, I've been so busy here trying to, I had the security on the president, so uh, I was uh, at the uh, auditorium where he was to speak, and I was uh, there when it happened. I see. And uh, all I'm getting is just uh, piecemeal information, really. Uh-huh. As to what actually happened. The officer who arrested him is here. Would you like to talk to him? Yes, I certainly would. Hello, who am I speaking with, please? Uh, this is Detective Taylor. Detective Taylor? Yes, sir. Uh, did, you erect the, did, you, did you arrest the person who is uh, thought to be the assassin? Yes, sir, I assisted. And uh, how did it come about? Uh, we had information that he was in a theater. I see. Texas Theater in uh, Oak Cliff of Dallas. You received a tip on that? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Then what? We went to that uh, theater and went in there and found him hiding in the uh, lower uh, uh, lower floor theater. Uh-huh. Did he admit? Uh, well, uh, not readily, no, sir. Uh, he's upstairs now with our homicide uh, bureau, and they're uh, talking to him. I don't know whether he's admitted it yet or not. I see. Did uh, he shoot one of your officers inside the theater? Sir? Did he shoot and kill one of your officers oh, inside sir, the it theater? Was, uh, before we... Before he went to the theater, he shot and killed one of the officers. How did he happen to do that? Was this a traffic violation? Uh, I uh, understand a traffic violation. The officer stopped him, and he uh, he shot him. I see. And um, what, uh, he is being uh, held up upstairs. Do you have his name? Sir? Do you have his name? Uh, yes, sir. What is his name? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, O-S-W-A-L-D. O-S-W-A-L-D. What is his age? Uh, I'm not sure. He's approximately... 23 or 4 years old. 23, 24? That's just by appearance now. I don't know. I see. White male? Uh, yes. And uh, where is he from? I don't have that, sir. I see. Do you know, did he give any reason? I mean, do you have any idea why he might have shot the president if he did? Well, no, sir. Uh, like I say, we haven't, uh, we took him, we brought him straight down here and uh, released him to Captain Wilfred to our homicide bureau. Uh-huh. What time did he take him into custody? Uh, approximately, oh, uh, I'd say approximately 2 o'clock. Approximately 2 p.m. Uh, what time do you have there now? Uh, uh, 3.30 here. 3.30, an hour and a half ago then. Uh, approximately, yes. Sir. I see. And uh, he uh, apparently uh, ran a stoplight or something and attracted the attention? Uh, apparently. I, that's still uh, uh, very vague. Uh, like I say, we haven't talked to him, and uh, we, we got him out of the theater with the, with the pistol. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he attempted to shoot one of our officers in the theater, but the pistol clicked and it didn't. It didn't fire. Mm-hmm. And we took him out of the theater and brought him directly to Captain Will Fritz, who Cap- is our homicide officer. Captain Will Fritz is the homicide officer. Yes, and they have him up there now talking to. Him. Uh, had any assassination attempt been expected today? Uh, no, sir. None. None uh, expected. No, sir. Uh, we the- had approximately 300 or 350 uh, city officers on it, plus the uh, state, plus. Uh, uh, plus all the federal officers that were here. So it was well, uh, it was well, uh, guarded. Uh-huh. Uh, where is he thought to have shot the president from? Uh, out of a window in a, uh, in a building near, uh, near the courthouse. It's, uh, I'm not sure what the name of the building is. It's a, it's a fairly large building. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, just as he made the corner and turned to go to the trademark where he was going to, uh, have the dinner. What sort of weapon do you think he used? Uh, they found a rifle in the uh, uh, high-powered rifle with a scope in the uh, in the room that the shot was fired from. Mm-hmm. Had any uh, what kind of rifle it was? Had any precautions been taken uh, as far as inspecting windows and and buildings along the route, that type of thing? Well, I'm not sure. I'm sure that probably there was. Uh, uh, I was assigned the trademark, and uh, I don't know uh, just what all was uh, uh, done downtown. I'm sure that it was checked. Uh, I see. Now, what was your name again, sir? E.E. Uh, e. Taylor. E.E. E. Taylor, and you are a, a detective? Detective, yes. Sir. In the Dallas Police Force. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Speaking if to you'd you. like some more information, I could uh, maybe have you transferred upstairs. Uh, I don't know. Uh, 
They're pretty busy up there. I don't know where they'd want to talk uh, to you about what, what is their extension? I'll try later. Uh, let me get it for you. All right. You just asked for the Homicide and Robbery uh, Bureau. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Detective E.E. E. Taylor of the Dallas Police Department at 3.30 this afternoon that the president was assassinated. Thank you, WRAJ News. Wow. Did you think on your feet that day, Don? You were asking all these questions about his height, his race, how he was arrested, what weapon did they think he used, did he resist? You ask all these questions that, in the shock of the assassination, many professionals might have just forgotten. But you didn't. You had the audacity to make the call, and you got the Dallas Police Department to talk to you, Don, on this horrible day where the world's falling apart. You got them to talk to you, and they gave you the name of the suspect in the assassination, just like you got all these other famous people to talk to you. What in the world was your secret? How did you get them to speak to you? Well, you know, in a simple answer, just ask. (laughs) Just amazing how you did that. Well, it's just amazing how easy it is to navigate through people. uh, If you know where you're going and are very well prepared... Uh, make a reasonable request to them. It's amazing how easy it is to get people to do your answers. And uh, whenever you call anywhere from Illinois, people assume you are from Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And so they thought I was from a big-time radio station. And uh, as soon as we completed that, we played that tape on the air, And then I called the uh, UPI National Bureau, which was in Chicago at that time, and told them I had the name of uh, the uh, the assassin. Yes, that was the first time that the UPI had the name was from you. Nobody knew at the time. Yeah. Moments after UPI in Chicago heard that call, teletypes jerked into action spelling out the name of Lee Harvey Oswald for the very first time. From a tiny station in Anna, Illinois, Don Mitchell had scooped the wire services and the White House press corps, and he didn't stop there. In the weekend following the assassination, he called the home of Abraham Zapruder and spoke to the amateur photographer who took the famous film footage of Kennedy's assassination. He telephoned other witnesses as well. Don Mitchell will forever be associated with the Kennedy assassination and the news coverage of that day. For the five-minute call with the officer who arrested Lee Harvey Oswald, and because he preserved all of the wire service copy from that day. Uh, eventually, I saved all of that news copy, and that's now on file in, in a uh, museum library uh, here in Texas, which is interesting because each bulletin carried the time. So uh, I think it may be of some historic interest in, in the future. I recently saw some of Don's teletype copy with my former station's call letters. It hung alongside a teletype at the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza, the museum of the JFK assassination in Dallas. Do you have his name? Sir? Do you have his name? Uh, yes, sir. What is his name? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, O-S-W-A-L-D. Eventually, that name would be burned into the pages of history, and Don Mitchell's call is what helped make that possible. By the way, Don Mitchell is memorialized on the Sixth Floor Museum's website, where he's listed as one of the earliest reporters to broadcast the name of suspect Lee Harvey Oswald. You're listening to a special edition of The Off-Ramp with historic recordings from the assassination of John F. Kennedy in November 1963. Music from Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring, used as the introduction for Edward R. Murrow's CBS Reports. I thought I'd use it again for this report by Bob Smith about Southern Illinois' radio legend Don Mitchell and the crime of the century. I came to WRAJ about a year after Bob started there, and we worked there together for another year. And yes, though it was in a small market, WRAJ was certainly an exceptional radio station. 
and Don Mitchell was an exceptional owner. Sadly, Don passed away several years after Bob's report. Well, it's going to be a long, sober walk to the coffee machine. You know, um, I remember a couple of days later, after the assassination, going into the television room and turning it on, and, and I saw Jack Ruby shoot shoot and in it just I couldn't believe what I saw I saw him shoot Lee Harvey Oswald uh, and I didn't really understand or realize what was happening but I probably saw the first murder on live national television so it's a scar that uh, for a lot of baby boomers won't heal but let's let's get out of this this is starting to get a little morbid you know, back in the good old days uh, at WRAJ Radio, Bob and I had a lot of fun, and we did some silly things. Uh, and we started uh, several years before on WSIU, so let's have a cup of joe with yours truly, and we'll talk about those experiences, which are a lot more enjoyable than what we just heard. Cup of Joe with Robert here on The Big G. Ever think about how wonderful it was in the good old days when you were in your 20s? It was great back then, wasn't it? Well, for people like me in broadcasting, there is a little time machine that shows exactly the way I was when I was 20. It's called Audio Tape. This is me in 1973. <coughs> hey, George, it's getting kind of late. Let's get something to eat. Okay, let's go to Winkies. What? Hamburgers? I'm not eating any hamburgers. Let's get something else, like uh, hot dogs with whipped cream. Some people oh. think Winkies oh. is just another hamburger joint. He's dead, folks. <laughs> okay, take 25. All right. That's Bob Smith, a fellow student. We also collaborated in the newsroom together. This is WSIU News at 1230. I'm Bob Smith, along with Bob Rickman with Illinois News. And formal approval of Archibald Cox as special water day prosecutor. Now, for the Illinois report, here's... Bouncy Bob Rickman. Thank you very much, Bob Smith. Last night, the Carbondale City Council has offered the chance to pick up a free monorail system. Uh, uh, Carbondale never got its monorail, and Nixon resigned, in case you just tuned in. Anyway, Bob and I graduated, and we worked together on our first commercial station in 1975. Launch your day with Robert P. Rickman on WRAJ. Located in a small, quiet community in southern Illinois. And as I recall, that was played once. It apparently didn't fit in very well with our beautiful music format. So the lesson here is, if you want to go back to those good old days when you were young, think again. Have that with your cup of joe. This is Robert P. Rickman. And as I remember, after we played that little promo to my program, Don came up and said, oh, Bob, uh, Bob, that was very clever, very clever, but we don't want to do it again. It won't mix with the Melocrina strings. And so that was that. Okay, uh, Boomer. I'm sorry, but that was about 50 years ago. Hey, remember the good old days when we were young, you know, smoking in the parking lot? And no, I'm not talking about cigarettes. I'm talking about marijuana. And I admit I tried it, but I didn't inhale. Uh, but for those of you who did inhale, wasn't it a rush? Wasn't the inevitable attack of the munchies exciting? You know, when you went out to buy ice cream and came back with potato chips and ate the whole bag at once while watching Reefer Madness? But Todd Lawler of the Squish Cannabis Store in Marion tells me boomers don't come into his store with the idea of getting blown away. Nope. No, uh, Todd says boomers are looking for pain-free relaxation. The baby boomers uh, seem to be coming in here for help with inflammation and anxiety. And the, the CBD seems to be a, a good um, medicine for inflammation and anxiety. Now, in the good old days, in the 70s, uh, the baby boomers used... Um, CBD and pot, as we used to call it, uh, for recreational use. Now, do you see much of that now? Yeah, 
we do have a lot of people coming in looking for the the THC side. The the THC side's out by the airport. It's it's called Consume. It started out being called the Harbury. So there's a lot of people that first go to the Consume side that are referred over here because there's a lot of people that are sensitive to THC. So we help the people that are sensitive to THC. I'm sensitive to THC now. Uh, and I've mentioned to you before, I, I was taking some of this for anxiety. And after one puff, I had an enormous amount of anxiety for about an hour to an hour and a half. And we're talking about one, maybe one or two puffs for the entire night. Yeah, there's over 4,600 strains of cannabis. So for for somebody to find something that's a beneficial, you know, effect to them is a little bit overwhelming. So there's something called the biphasic effect. So if somebody gets a milligram or two of THC, they might sleep like a baby. Whereas if they get, you know, 10, 20, 30 milligrams of THC, it'll, it'll almost be a panic attack. I mean, they feel worse after they took than before. That's the way I felt for a couple of hours. And the other thing is, one of the reasons why I stopped it last year is because I thought it was affecting my sleep. A lot of people get get benefit, if it's an endocannabinoid deficiency, by taking some of these phytocannabinoids from a plant that are CBD cannabinoids versus THC cannabinoids throughout the day. So that, that way they're they're not trying to, you know, just take something to go to bed. They're less anxious throughout the day. So therefore at night, their nighttime dose, they, it's really effective. There's some people that have a little bit of benefit of even a milligram or two of THC before sleep to help them sleep. Now, have you had doctors um, recommend patients come over to Squish? Oh yeah. There's, there's several local doctors that send me a lot of people. It's a, there, we wish there was a test for endocannabinoid deficiency, but I guess the only test is if we can introduce some phytocannabinoids, you know, over a week or two in a controlled manner. And, uh, you know, the, the testimonies is really all we have as far as, you know, um, proof right now. So, Well, yes, you don't have any means of testing. Now, could you, dist- I can't even pronounce that word, endocannabinoids. Uh, what is that? And the endocannabinoid system, it basically creates something in the body called homeostasis. Homeostasis. It's the it's the different systems, you know, that are getting along well, able to communicate. It's a, a feeling of well-being that's created by natural in, in naturally, you know, occurring cannabinoids in the body. If you're lacking in those cannabinoids, we can give you some that we, we grow on our farm that um, simulate those that that do what something your body should be doing. So you're growing this yourself? Yes, yes. We have a farm south of town. We we qualified under the Industrial Hemp Act. We grow high CBD flour. We we only use the flour, and we we just simply put it into olive oil and avocado oil and strain it. So there's no there's no high tech involved. It's just simply we do as good a job growing and keeping the plant. Um, below certain temperatures because terpenes is something that's involved with the, you know, the making of the cannabinoids. So if we don't let the plant get above 80 degrees, if we keep it in a controlled environment, there's, you know, the true full spectrum effect, the synergy of the cannabinoids, flavonoids, um, and the terpenes. So in other words, if somebody was trying to discover which strain might work best for them, a lot of people recommend if you smell these different strains if you if you smell one that smells good that could that's about as good of a start as we've got to you know getting you something that might be beneficial to you that's an awfully simple way of looking at things yeah it's um you know the the mass the masses are into i call the trash to cash game they they grow a whole field they put it in a big batch of ethanol and um they isolate only the cbd molecule and it's it there's something at the pharmacy called Epidiolex. It's a extremely strong um, isolated CBD compound that's that was um, made by GW Pharmaceuticals with the help of Dr. Raphael Meshlam at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. So, the you know the 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 medical side of things, they want something that's scalable, that's repeatable, that's you know. But plant medicine's not that we. 
plant medicine is something that's, um, you know, it's, we're not, we're trying to not be smarter than the plant. We're trying to just grow the plant the best we can and as gently extract the plant as you can. In other words, the best medicine might just be literally walking up to a plant and eating the flower that's on the plant. So it sounds like it is not a science yet. It might not be a science it's more of an art and a craft well it's, it's it turns out that science is is bought by the chemical companies the, the chemical companies own the universities they determine what science is so it's um the i mean the closest we have to studies right now is something called the cannabis health index it's on its third edition right now it's a worldwide uh, publication um dr you blushing he um he 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 groups particular ailments with particular chemotypes and has respectable studies, you know, showing, you know, what, what that'll do and with what dose, you know, for major illnesses like Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, epilepsy. That's the closest we have to a collective. I think the more that we can develop a collective where all of this information is easily accessible by our doctors, the better these people will have a chance to get something that actually works for them. Wow, that's something I wasn't aware of that. And you have, from what I can tell, an extensive knowledge of this, and you also know the history. Um, yes, I, I've, uh, I've read as much as I can. Um, the, as far as I know, the um, going back into ancient times, there was a, a guy named uh, Babaku um, like, that would um, actually you know sit in the rivers over there somewhere around afghanistan and smoke a hookah and and smoke an incredible amount of hash and roll his little hash balls into little pills and like hand out to leopards on the silk road believe it or not is what i've read um but as far as more well documented there's a irish guy named um o'shaughnessy william o'shaughnessy that was messing with cannabinoids in ireland you know making some concentrates having lots of benefits it actually came over here to the united states it was the number three medicine in um in in the doctor's bags here in the united states before you know they changed the name to marijuana and made it sound mexican you know they they got rid of the cannabis definition and called it the mexican slang term and made it this evil thing so yeah it was a it's a very important medicine from the beginning of time Okay, you're saying in the doctor's bags, THC, CBD, when was this? In the early days, like the Frontiers days, like all the way up until the, you know, until it became illegal, you know, after the Depression, after they they, they demonized alcohol, after the, you know, Anslinger and his officers had no other thing to demonize, they picked marijuana. It happened that a guy named DuPont was farming plastic at the time. They had a friend named William Randolph Hearst that that developed the Reefer Madness campaign, and um, it, it all worked for a bunch of powerful people how they needed it to. I watched Reefer Madness. I found it very amusing. <laughs> it's comical today, but believe it or not, like our grandfathers and our senators and our presidents and leaders of the world were actually swayed by it. You have any final thoughts? <laughs> I want to try to help get the medicine to the people. I think it's a very important medicine, and um, it's it is plant medicine, so it's it's not exact. So just just stick with it. Give it a couple weeks and try a low dose. Try titration is starting at the bottom and working up. So don't come in with a heavy dose. Start with a micro dose, like one to twenty milligrams. You know, know if it's CBD, know if it's THC. You know, look at the um, the cannabis health index if it if it's a condition you're trying to treat you know see what the studies have shown like if it's a one-to-one like for ms or if it's a um you know epilepsy it's it seems to be like high cbd like this epidiolex that that dr meshlin discovered or developed for gw pharmaceuticals there's also sativax you can get at the pharmacy the one-to-one that that um Meshlam also made for GW, gw pharmaceuticals i think there's there's new um, research in the raw cannabinoids like everybody thinks this stuff needs to be activated but in its raw form i think that's hard to stabilize form but i think that's what they're working on so in other words this raw flour if you could simply put it in your smoothies and eat it you might be surprised the benefits you receive 
And that's Todd Lawler, co-owner of the Squish Cannabis Store in Marion. When we come back, we'll be uh, doing some dancing in the 1950s, then some dancing in 2022, and it will be at the same place. This is Robert Rickman here on OK Boomer. Hey, everybody, it's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Imagine dancing at a place when you were 12 years old in the late 1950s, then dancing there again in 2022. The place was called Teen Town, but now it's the Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center. I spoke recently with Sandy Buller, who danced there in her youth, and uh, she now directs the center. This building we're in right now, years ago, what did you do? This was used to be Teen Town when I was uh, 12 years old or 13, somewhere in there. Was, it was Teen Town, and we used to dance on the same floor that they're dancing on right now. That was the late 50s and early 60s. Yes, yes. And now, in 2022, you're dancing on that floor still. Yes. I don't dance on there, but yes, we do have uh, line dancing and dancer size, and we have a monthly uh, dance in the evening, and yes, it's the same dance floor. When you're here, do you sometimes think about the good old days? Yes, I do. I sure do. And when I see people dancing on it, I have to sort of smile because it's been a long time, you know, that we see uh, people dancing on that, knowing that I used to dance on that when I was a young young child, actually, 12 years old. So, Wow. Okay, so now you're the director of what is now the Senior Citizens Center, where the 12-year-olds have grown up into their 70s and 80s. Now, baby boomers technically are just after World War II until 1964. This is the range where they were born. How are you doing with baby boomers? Because I have talked to several people, and there have been some national news articles about baby boomers not wanting to go to senior citizen centers because the senior citizen centers didn't have uh, what they wanted. Uh, are you having a problem like that here? No. No, we've got, of course, we got the meals, and we got all the line dancing and the dancer size, and people were coming in to dance, to exercise, and to eat. I don't think we have any problem at all. I think we have like 231 or 32 members here. A lot of them are in their 70s and 80 years old. So I don't think we have. Some of them are actually in their late 60s. And we play bingo and they play cards. And we have two two groups of men that play cards and they seem to really enjoy it in here. So I'm glad that they do. I'm glad we got people that like to come in here. I've come in, you know, several times for lunch, and most every time I've seen people sitting there are playing cards. Oh, yeah. They play cards here, um, let's see, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we have another group that comes in on Monday and Wednesday. So they play cards here all the time. On Friday, we play bingo, and, um, and then the women play cards in the afternoon. So the men in the morning, the women in the afternoon. So I think we have a, a good selection of age group people in here. Actually, I enjoy seeing everybody that comes in here. Uh, I was at the Halloween dance, and I saw a lot of dancing on that stage. There was a lot of dancing on that stage, and we had a, a contest uh, uh, there with the costumes, and we had some very pretty people dressed up, and some of them were a little crazy, but... Most of them were really good costumes. I mean, they really have a really good imagination. It looked like most of the tables were full of diners. Uh, yes, and uh, it's a potluck where you could bring your, you know, to share your food to share. And uh, everybody sits down and eats. And, it, and we have a band from six to nine. And they get up there and I love watching them dance. You could tell some of them have danced years together. And so um, I really enjoy watching them. Wish I could do it. 
I talked with one of the band members, and uh, he gave me his album, and I played some of it on the program. It's it's all about Southern Illinois, mm-hmm. and he wrote a song where it, where it starts out with "Have you ever been to Carbondale?" So I played that. What I've noticed between the senior citizen centers, I've been to the West Frankfurt, Carbondale, Marion, and this one. They're all completely different from each other, run differently. One of the things that distinguishes this senior citizen center from the others is that you have a shop. Yes, we have a resale shop here, and that does bring a lot of people in here. And I love going in there. I find a lot of good bargains back there. And, uh, but it does bring a lot of people into our center. And a lot of the dancers, when they get finished dancing, they'll go back there and shop. So, you know, it's, it's actually really, really good. I did some shopping, and I bought uh, some business clothes, really high-quality business clothes. And it was like $2 a shirt. Yeah, and, you know, I loved watching QVC. And the thing about it is, is a lot of times I go back there, and I know the brands from QVC, and they're, they're back there in the resale shop. And I thought, I don't have to pay that big price on QVC because I could get it at the resale shop for $2. <laughs> yeah, that's a good deal. And particularly for me, I'm, I'm now living on Social Security, and that's enough to live on, but I certainly don't want to pay $50 for a dress shirt or 100 or whatever they're charging now. I don't either. And so, you know... Uh, course i'm married and my husband's got a good retirement but uh i still you know don't like especially since i've been up here and um and i still watch qvc but when i look at qvc now i think i bet you they got something similar to that at the resale shop and they usually do what a bargain being in charge of this place how long you've been here as the manager And what um, prompted you to work in this position? Because I I would think that it could be frustrating at times. It's very frustrating at times. Um, I started out in my 50s here on the council, and then I became vice president, and not thinking that one day I would be the director here. I never didn't even dawn on me. I just figured the person who was here before me would stay. And I didn't realize that one day I would be here. Uh, and it took me a minute or two to adjust to it. In fact, I couldn't even come into this office for a while. And then we rearranged some of the things in the office, and it, just, it came where it became mine and, so, and not the previous director. And that helped a lot. Like, this was not here. This was in the other room. You mean the console uh, with your uh, yes, your the computer? computer and all this was in the other room, which is the room I was usually in. And uh, so we just traded stuff around, and it basically became mine then. And now I'm sort of used to it, but if anybody ever wanted to take over, they can. <laughs> now, you're obviously past retirement age. You, you really don't have to do anything um, why do you do this? For the exercise, the walk back and forth. I have, uh, I, I, say this. I have multiple sclerosis, and the walking back and forth from the resale shop to the front has been a big help for me to keep usage of my legs. And that's basically why I do it. Just, just to walk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that has really helped me keep the use of my legs. I was talking to a trainer, Alexis, over at Planet Fitness. That's where I work out. And she trains a lot of elderly people. And she says the same thing. It's important to keep mobile. That's true. That's absolutely true. I have did uh, physical therapy. I just walk, walk back and forth. But a lot of times I'll just do it like even to take one letter and bring it up there and come back and get another just so I could be walking back and forth. And going from the resale shop all the way to the front is a good distance, and that really has helped me a lot. But aside from the exercise, are there other reasons why you enjoy being in charge of the center? No. So, so really it's just for the exercise? No, I really like the people. I love the people that work here. 
I wouldn't trade any of them for, for nothing. And I love the people that come in. And we're getting more and more people that <clears throat> I went to school with that's coming in here, and I sure do enjoy seeing them. I really do enjoy seeing them. I see them almost every day anymore, and it, I just get a big kick out of it. And people coming in here that play cards or bingo, right? And I just enjoy seeing them. And so I can sit and talk to and catch up on their lives as they do mine. So it's it's actually it's more in, enjoyable than anything. But I heard that quick no. Was that the administrative part of this that you didn't um, like? Yeah, I get a lot of, you know, I have a lot of people that blame me if they don't get the, the right kind of dessert. Or I had, I had one lady get mad at me because we were supposed to have coconut cream pie and there was no coconut cream pie there. It was a different kind. And she got so mad at me like it was my fault that we did not have this, this pie. And so, but, but the, the food comes in. I, we don't fix it here. And she was mad at me because I did not have coconut cream pie. <laughs> Well, I remember when I first got here, you took a roll away from me. Uh, took a, oh, well, you know something? The, on the certain, the way they got them packaged, the star foam has the roll in it, but the tins don't. And that's how come I took it away from you. So we can have another person that's taken that tin, and they will not get one because you had two. So. Well, the guy, the guy sitting next to me, I started crying, and, and they said, oh, that's okay, and they gave me some of their roll, and they gave <laughs> me a Kleenex. A you should have had a roll in your, in your, in your, uh, in your plate. I did. You did? Well, that's, that was selfish then. <laughs> well, no, I didn't know the rules. I, I just saw the rolls there, and I thought, okay, I'll take a roll. I didn't know the roll was in the styrofoam. Yeah, the roll's in the styrofoam, but not in the tins. So, but you're not the only one I've did that to. I've did that to other people, too. <laughs> if not, then people with the star that's in the tin will not get a roll. <laughs> Sandy, any other final thoughts? <laughs> No, I just, you know, I just get a big kick out of a lot of things that go on up here. Some of them hurt my feelings. and But, you know, you just got to keep your chin up and just keep on going. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Well, to be honest, I did not hold the role incident against you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sure somebody did along the way. If they get mad over coconut cream pie, they're going to get mad at me over a roll. <laughs> That's Sandy Biller, and uh, I eat at the uh, Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center about once a week. Now, we don't have time uh, this morning for our broadcast about the uh, SIU Legal Clinic and how it can help seniors, but we're going to uh, broadcast that next week. Is that okay, gang? Oh, yeah, it sounds like it's okay. And that wraps up the program for this morning on WID. W-I-D-B. What's wrong with me? Uh, this is W-D-B-X. It's another brain fog moment for me. I had COVID, and I still have this uh, brain fog occasionally. Yes, this is W-D-B-X. Carbondale, not W-I-D-B Carbondale. That wraps it up. 